This program is brought to you by P1 Australia Racing Components, the designer of the oil heat mats for dry sump tank applications. Find out more about the truths on engine oil heating at p1australia.com. Thunder Media. Hi, I'm Chas Mostert. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. And you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to another edition of Inside Supercars. Craig Ravel and Cara Jenkin here on the show. And Cara, we thought we'd talk about driver lineups. We're going to see a couple of changes in the supercars in 2024, but we're also not going to see a huge generational change next year. Yes, it's interesting to see some of the new new names that are coming up through the ranks in supercars who are going to be joining on full-time basis next year. But uh, we're going to have to say goodbye to um, some old favourites as well, uh, I may think, what seems to be the case. Yeah, and unfortunately, a lot of them all hail from your beloved South Australia. Well, I never say anything unless you've got it written down and for certain as to who's going to stick around and, and who's not. It's uh, it's good to see Nick Perkett uh, shuffle off to a different team. I think that'll be a really interesting matchup um, in terms of him being able to pass on a lot of his experience and sort of be a real sort of leader for that team. I think that'll be a bit of a different environment for him um, and one that he, he may relish. So That'll be an interesting prospect to be able to see that, that's for sure. It is, and we are going to see him linking up with Canberra's Cameron Hill and those two in the Stone, Matt Stone racing car will be a a good balance, I think, because you've got Cam, he'll be in his second year. Nick, if he can get back to the sort of form he was showing at Brad Jones racing and get that confidence back, that could be a, a great thing for that team, one, but also for the development of Cam Hill. Yes, and I think it might be possible. I, I, You know how much I like these sort of motorsport gods doing their things. And, and the fact that Nick Perkat, who's from a very big Holden family, um, is going from a Mustang where he hasn't done that well this year back into a GM car. Um, I've heard him say – or. I think it was quoted in him saying that his grandfather is apparently now going to talk to him because he's going to be in a GM car rather than a Ford. So <laughs> I think little magical things like that, just little twists, um, might actually come up for some um, some good results. What does the sport lose by Shane Van Gisbergen going overseas? I don't think it loses anything, to be honest. Um, that's no disregard to uh, to the great SVG. I think. It, in a way, it provides a pathway for some of these really top drivers who uh, have, well, he's dominated um, a lot of the time in recent years. And for some viewers, they, they relish watching that. For some fans of the sport, they they don't want to see the same person winning all the time or most of the time. So I think everybody is really behind him to go to the US and to do really well over there. That brings up a space for somebody else to come in and take the limelight and take the race wins, and I think that's a good thing for the sport. So Will Brown teaming up with Brock Feeney 
where do you think that battle's going to lie? Because Brock has really found his feet at Triple Eight now, and whilst you know Shane is obviously the team leader, Brock is going to have the experience, he's going to have the knowledge of the team with Will coming in. How can you not love Will Brown? I mean, just the smile on his face is just amazing. He's got the best smile and he seems to be the happiest person in supercars. So I think you'd always get along with him or you'd try to get along with him. And the dynamics, I think they'll definitely have to work on that, uh, from not sort of being teammates and new teams and that kind of thing. Uh, but seeing having two sort of young guns coming up together, uh, hopefully they can forge a really strong uh, relationship both on the track and off it, and that'll be one that will be uh, – they'll be the dominating force perhaps in a few years' time. What I find interesting over at Grove Racing is Grove's love of New Zealanders. Matt Payne obviously has been having a great rookie year and you'll hear that uh, in my chat about his race at Sandown where he was the top forward in the third part of this week's show. But Richie Stanaway making a move. Now he had a very solid performance with Shane Van Gisbergen from the back of the grid at Sandown. New Zealand really does push out a lot of great drivers, don't they? And they've obviously seen that as an advantage as, as a key recruitment ground for them so uh that's that's a little uh advantage a little uh, notch in the belt i guess or a, a little a good thing for them to be able to pick up on and definitely make the most of it now in the next part of the show we're speaking to brewer beasley from team 18 and next year it'll be mark winterbottom and dave reynolds in the chevrolet camaros A couple of weeks ago, we spoke with Dave Reynolds on our show about the value of a driver. Here's what he said about ageing drivers and their speed. Motorsport, I always say motorsport or being a driver, it doesn't, you know, once you get a bit older, you actually kind of get better. You don't really get slower. You can get slower if you don't want to be, if you don't want to race. That will really show up in the car. But if you, every day, if you get up and you want to be fast um, and you try and better yourself and you still work on your craft and still have that, you know, that burning fire in your belly and that ability to focus on the job and get the most out of the car. Um, I tell a story that, well, you can go for as long as you want. I tell a story that when I was 20, 21 years old, I thought I was like the fastest horse driver in Carrera Cup there was, and I used to get my ass handed to me by a 58-year-old bloke named Jim Richards. And, yeah, I learnt a lot off him, and obviously, you know, he's one of the greatest drivers of all time. So... Age is no real barrier in our sport. It just, as you get older, things happen. You have family. Um, you, you know, motor racing might not become so important anymore. You might focus energy on something else. So, you know, you tend to slow down in the car or not put as much time and effort as you did as when you're younger. So, you know, you can actually drive until you want to stop racing. It's not like you don't have, it's not a physical sport, it's not a physicality sport. Uh, it's not about being strongest or fastest, you know, sprinter or anything like that. It's, it's uh, the, the sport of the mind, so you can, you can go as long as your mind is still strong. So, Cara, if age isn't really a problem like in other contact sports, does Dave Reynolds have a point? He could keep going for another 20-odd years. I think a lot of, lot of people would like to see that, and it, I think it's really true. I mean, our sport is different to other major sports in Australia in a lot of different ways, and the the wear and tear that it does on the body isn't something that uh, does does occur. 
typically um, in in the tradi- traditional ways as it would in football or cricket or tennis or any of those sports. So I think this is a real, um, it's not really an issue, but it's a real sort of challenge. You have these uh, popular drivers, these good drivers who still can steer, takes nothing away from them. And there's only a certain number of seats in supercars. So I think at this point in time, we might be seeing a, a bit of a, a shift where we sort of see some Drivers who are the popular drivers, the great drivers that people love are sticking around and everyone's happy to see that. And at the same time, we have a few younger guys coming through and that's just providing some interesting racing on circuits. Now, Ryan Wood is going to be driving with Chaz Mostert and he has been an amazing, amazing debut in the Super 2s this year, young Ryan Wood. And then you have Aaron Love who potentially could be joining James Courtney. The, the current thought is James Courtney will be in the second Blanchard car. But for Wood and Love, that does help revitalise the sport, getting those young guys in. It does. It, it is a bit of a changing of the guard. And to, to get some new heroes in, to, to get some fresh blood, is something that happens in every sport all the time. And we can't wait to see what they do. That leaves us, we're not expecting much change at Brad Jones Racing, Smith, Heimgartner, Forward and Jones. And over at Tickford, they compressed down to two cars. Cam Waters and Thomas Randall seem to be the drivers that will be there. And then Erebus will have Jack LeBrock from Matstone Racing joining Brody Kosecki, the current championship leader, heading to Bathurst. Yes, they, they definitely should. I think there's uh, some people that might prefer to see some um, other drivers in, in some of those seats that you mentioned. Uh, I think it's just uh, that's another reason why our sport is, is so different is it's not necessarily uh, the, the fastest person that makes up the good overall good driver package that we need in our sport. So uh, definitely some names that people are happy to be, hopefully will stick around and some disappointing stories. Well, as I mentioned, coming up later in the show, we'll have Bruin Beasley and also then we'll have Matt Payne in the third part. But we'll take a short break now and come back And we'll have a little chat about WHS at Supercars or in the world of motorsport. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, (laughs) Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck. For Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas, there actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Inside Supercars with Craig Ravel and Cara Jenkins. And Cara, I thought we'd take a moment to talk about WHS because there was a very interesting uh, situation that happened across the Sandown weekend which saw one journalist get some very interesting quotes from a team principal when he did his job. He went up and asked about rumours that he was hearing from multiple different people around the paddock. And, of course, it was later found out that the uh, team principal was leaving the team, but it was an expletive-laden quote set that was eventually able to be published. 
Yeah, I mean, I wasn't there, unfortunately. So sometimes I think um, it might be context, and I don't know the history between um, these two parties as to whether it's uh, been a little bit antagonistic or or if they've got a good relationship and. And um, and sometimes it can sort of just be, you know, have you timed it right? I think working as a journalist sometimes when you're asking tough questions, you need to be able to time it right. But um, it does seem to be a particularly uh, harsh uh, reaction to a question. Um, I think we all know that there's a lot of things that seem to be uh, common knowledge or public knowledge in pit lane. So um, to whether the um, team principal was surprised um, that those questions came. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, it's definitely an interesting uh, conundrum. Have you, in all the different beats you've worked, ever had a response to questions in a forceful or bullying or threatening manner? I personally have not, whether that's uh, for various factors being um, a female, um, well, I'm not very confrontational, uh, so that might be a play as well. It might also be the, the areas that I've worked in. Um, things don't get terribly heated in the employment sector um, and when I used to work in the police sector with police. Uh, we've never really had any sort of stern words uh, there either. Uh, but I have... Uh, seen heated debates uh, perhaps in areas I could like in politics around. I've seen politics reporters uh, sort of getting into heated arguments with uh, media advisors um, and those kind of uh, spokespeople. So I I don't know if it's uh, something that's just typical of the day or this particular sport or the issue, uh, but uh, it can, I guess, in, in any workplace, you can have frustrations, um, you can um, have heated moments, and when you're working together in two different um through two different sides of things, whether it's the, the media is one side and then you've got uh, a business person or, or sports person or whoever in the other, um, it, things can get uh, confrontational. It's highlighted something that really perhaps is misunderstood or even or just not even thought about is that whilst the supercars paddock is the workplace of the officials and the teams it is also the workplace for the journalists who would have the same whs rights under the whs act as any other working party at the event yeah, exactly. And I think that's uh, probably where a lot of people might just see the, the media as being um, interrogating and forceful and a lot of people probably have that view and and so they wouldn't see that um, the media are up as people just like everybody else. Um, but, yeah, that's, we are still people. Um, we sort of this, – this is our workplace for, for those who – journalists who – go to a motorsport track or they go to a crime scene or the, or they go somewhere else. That is their workplace. And I think everybody um, should be treated with respect at all times, whether that's a, a journalist asking a question respectfully or, or seeking comment from um, a, a person or the person responding to someone asking the question. Now, from your training, if you were hearing rumours around about someone's job, would you publish without having asked the question first or would that be a decision that's taken out of your hands? 
It would depend on the situation. I think if it was something that you've got well, definitely more than one source for, uh, you've got a couple of people saying one thing, uh, then, and of course you'd see comment from the, the person involved, uh, then you know, there, there is a, a public interest um, that lies into it. And I think yeah, a lot of whether you're, you're following the story, you'd, um, you'd know that it is interesting to you. So it's a story that you, you do need to follow up. It might, it might be a case of, uh, depending what it is, um, whether you seek legal advice as to whether you can actually publish something. So then the decision is taken out of your hands, and you'd put it, place it in in your editors or um, or the the other powers that be that work for your organisation. And and it might come down to the relationship that you have with with the the person that you're speaking to. If um, you, you've got a good working relationship with them and yet they, they trust you and you trust them and, and there might be more to the story or maybe there's not more to the story then you might sort of just, just leave it out of respect and, and perhaps even if um, you don't have a good working relationship but you're hoping to get stuff from them in the future, um, <laughs> you might want to sit on things um, or you might just want to just go to them and say, well, I, I have to publish regardless. Do you want to, to publish? So it, it really depends on the situation. Should you be in a situation where someone gives you those answers, you know, where is the line about whether it's right to use those answers or not? And I'm, I'm, I'm saying it was right to use the answers. It was right to ask the question because the rumours were out there. People were talking about it. And in fact, he, uh, the journalist involved, got the denial on the on the Friday when he asked the questions. It was eventually another organisation published uh, the rumours on the Sunday, which then prompted that journalist to go. Well, even though I, I, I've got the I've got the story that debunks the first story, which is a very old journalistic tactic. You, if you're not first with the story, you either blow it up or you shoot it down. Yeah, I, I can't sort of comment on this individual situation. I don't know them closely too much to uh, be able to, to say anything. But I think, um, yeah, it sort of comes down to sort of what those things um, I've mentioned before, you know, the situation. And, um, I mean, maybe, you know, there, there probably could be a time where, the things where are things on the record and where are things off the record sometimes that needs to be clearly said um and sometimes that's it's clearly not an issue so um it's a, it's a tricky one yeah it is an interesting one and it has as you can imagine raised a, a number of queries and concerns because if a if a team is giving that sort of response and then if they were to follow it up with and you'll never get access to our drivers or you'll never get access to uh, any of our team spokespeople again that then is bullying isn't it definitely if you're going to go to that kind of um probably using the word petty isn't really the right word but it's a similar word if you want to go oh i want this and i want that and you can't have this and you can't have that um yeah it's it's really um it is a, a horrible um, situation to be in and I think sometimes as well, I mean, I, our sport gets quite heated. We've had other things happen this year um, with swearing's been um, aired on live TV. Um, we 
even have it with um, drivers saying things that um, accidentally ends up in their coverage, although sometimes I wonder um, how accidental it can be when um, you're showing things straight live. Um, I sometimes wonder if there could be a delay put in some of these things so we don't get those heat-in-the-moment things. And, and the commentators don't even apologise for a lot of the, um, the swearing like they used to anymore. So I don't know, maybe it's sort of a commonplace um, issue, that kind of thing happening. Things just get a bit more spirited uh, these days. Um, I think, yeah, perhaps it's um, it's time for everybody to perhaps um, take take a break, uh, take a step back, take a breath and um, and just remember that we we all need each other to be able to uh, promote this sport the way we want to and um and be able to showcase what's happening and keep everybody informed as to what's going on that's a key point in the discussion isn't it we all need each other to be able to do our job and there has been in my opinion but certainly in conversations i've had with other colleagues is that in some respects the sport is feeling like they don't need us as a collective. They need their website, their website journalists, television, and then commercial partnerships perhaps with one or, one or two of the other media outlets. And they as I said, it's uh, been a feeling for a while now that the rest be damned. Oh, I think you're getting into some wider journalism media issues here. I think that could be said in a lot of different industries. A lot of people would go, well, I don't need this newspaper, I don't need this radio, I don't need this television station, I don't need this uh, social media forum to be talking about me because I've got my own uh, Facebook account to promote stuff, I've got my my own newsletters that I send out to what the commercial partners that are on board. Um, I don't agree with that. I think the, the more the merrier. Um, there's always things where I used to say working in employment, if you're looking for a job, um, if you're just looking on seek, then you're missing out on jobs that are somewhere else. And I think it's the same with with news. If you're only looking at one particular source, then you're missing out on a range of um, opinions and information and sources of, for supercars, for supercars teams, sources of potential advertisers. You might have somebody who would love to jump on board um, with your team uh, but if they're reading something else or they're getting their information or they're seeing it through things that you're not engaging with, then you're potentially going to miss out on that. And for some teams, it sounds like perhaps that might be fine by them. But um, I think you really need the, the broader picture and the overall perspective. Um, and you you want to be telling people in you're looking at that certain publication what's going on with your team. And what also is interesting is the fact that controversy helps breed interest. But the, you know, I think AFL.com has done a good job to be able to let the journalists, you know, write the story. But there isn't too many times if we look at the supercars.com site that you see anything that's not on the narrative. Well, supercars.com is supercars' site. So 
they do that's I wouldn't call that an independent journalism site um, and you could have a lot of people go there and, and read the highly informative articles that they have about those kind of things. Uh, but there are things um, such as whether a team principal is staying with their team anymore uh, that people want to know about. And, um, and sometimes uh, announcements can be very an overly um, managed. Um, it's a certain time of day and, and the certain day that things that announcements can be made um i don't see that there's anything wrong with um you know people finding out during a race weekend um, or at the end of a race weekend when they're actively engaging with the sport to be able to find out things rather than three days later when an official media release might come out it's safe to say that a lot of the narratives from this season have not been seen on supercars official website or even in their media releases it has been because the journalists out there at the different sites have found different angles yes you know maybe there was never a parity issue that's what we would see if they decided to lock out the media in a wider sense well, that's exactly it. The, the media is here to ask questions and provide information on things um, sometimes that the public wants to know. Um, so having other people come in with their other perspectives, um, sometimes even hidden agendas can lead to positive things because you might have um, somebody who really thinks something and then it, they've turned out they find out that it's true. So uh, it's definitely... Um, we, de- we definitely needed, I think, um, in all sorts of types of industries. Whilst we can talk about it's a WHS workplace, it's a workplace under the WHS Act for journalists, maybe the free reign and free access that the journalists do enjoy has to be changed if the behaviours can't be cordial. And maybe they have to go to the pens like they have in Formula One and the and the, you know, the appointed time slots for journalists to be able to interact with the team? I think in in some circumstances perhaps that might be um, a good thing for teams, uh, but then you're also having the freedom and the ability to be able to to go up to people and make friends with them, go into garages and form those relationships also is something that um, I think this sport does really well. You don't want to be in a situation um, that I've you heard from like with the AFL teams where um, you get rolled out uh, to footballers at the club's choosing and they stand there for five minutes for a photo shoot and then they go inside and you never sort of see or hear from them again because it's just um, while in some ways that might um, protect junior players um, from uh, being faced with things that they questions they don't really know uh, at the at the other end of the spectrum it um, it really doesn't ex- expose them to that either um, and I think just the open working relationship that a lot of people have in supercars um, means that everybody gets the information they need. And I don't know, maybe maybe everybody could be um, a bit more respectful of each other. Um, 
I really, just as a, a side note, I really like uh, Chas Mostert's uh, No Social Hate campaign. Um, I'm of the believer if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. Um, so, you know, you can ask a negative or a hard question, uh, but if it's in a friendly, positive way, then hopefully you'll get a, a nice, friendly, positive response. Yes, it, it, all roads lead back to Kamal, don't they? Why are people so unkind? <laughs> Let's all be friends. Yes, indeed. Cara, it is a pleasure once again to catch up with you here on Inside Supercars. And, uh, of course, we've got two more parts to the show. Bruin Beasley, who was a, a great chat and has really set up uh, the thinking about what's required for Bathurst. And then we hear from Matt Payne and his rookie year following his sand down. Well, you'd almost have to call it a success. He won the Mustang Cup at least. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. That's all we time for in this segment of Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.